0: Welcome to Valley Lights Church Online. Have you ever felt like the walls were closing in on you? Maybe you were in a situation, you're trapped in a place you didn't want to be, metaphorically or physically. (laughs) Uh, Maybe you felt like you were running out of options or you started to panic. Maybe you've felt overwhelmed or engulfed by a problem. This is a feeling that we get in life at times when things are rough and... uh, There's a really remarkable, memorable scene from Star Wars (laughs) where this happens, where they get stuck in a trash compactor. And uh, I have a few screenshots just for fun. Uh, So suddenly, Luke and his gang, they find themselves in this room, this pile full of trash. And then, uh uh-oh, the walls start closing in on them. And uh, this is not good, they're about to get squished. So they get a big stick. Figure out maybe, maybe we can stop the walls from closing in this way. No, that doesn't do it. And now, now Luke is just trying to push the wall back just with his bare hands. That's, that's not going to get very far. Oh, uh, now they're pushing with their bodies. They got their feet up against the wall. They're trying to keep the walls from closing in. They're just, I mean, is that going to do anything? No, but they're running out of options. What are you going to do? And then finally, Luke's calling on the radio. C3PO! C3PO! He's crying out, we're getting crushed. And uh, did they make it? Did they make it out? I don't, I don't wanna give any spoilers, so I'll let you have to watch. You'll, you'll have to watch the movie for yourself to find out. In this part of the movie, it's very exciting, but they're completely helpless. The walls are closing in, and they are powerless to change the situation. Uh, they're, they're just completely dependent on outside help. They, there's nothing they can do themselves. Well, there's times in life when it feels like there's no escape from the situation that we're in or from the problems that we're facing. You you may have even encountered times where you're starting to feel hopeless. This can happen in our personal lives. Maybe a chronic illness is just getting worse and worse and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, Or maybe you've been stuck in a really awful job. Or maybe you've been stuck without a job and the money is running out, what am I gonna do? Or maybe you've been in a relationship that is just, it's causing so much pressure and you feel stuck. Things are not getting better, things are getting worse. This can also happen on a large scale. I would imagine that many European nations felt this way when Germany was sweeping across the countryside and they seemed unstoppable. Maybe they felt hopeless. Maybe you felt this way when you look around our own country now or the world that we're living in now. I think maybe some of the people that have fled California in the past few months maybe have felt this way. (laughs) The walls are closing in and we have got to escape. We're starting a new message series. Actually, we started it last week and it's called Hope in the Dark. And we're looking at the question, can God be good when life is not? My name is Bruce, I'm the lead pastor, and I'm really glad that you joined us today. I wonder, would you consider yourself a hopeful person? What if what if you just you're you're facing a devastating, crippling problem? Severe difficulty sometimes puts our faith to the test. And and for some As the trouble wears on and just time really stretches out and the the solution doesn't come, our faith might start running low. I would imagine Luke Skywalker had a lot of confidence in C-3PO at the beginning, but every second that goes by and he's shouting into the radio and there's no answer, no response and no change of the situation, maybe he started losing confidence that he'd come through. I mean, after all, how much could you trust a a droid? (laughs) Especially that one. (laughs) You know, it's really hard to live in the tension when we're dealing with a life-dominating problem, and we want it solved as soon as possible. Or at the very least, we'd like to know why. We'd like to have some answers to to why it's happening or when it's going to get fixed. We're walking through, in this series, an often overlooked book of the Bible. It's Called Habakkuk, and you might not even be able to pronounce it. <laughs> and if you've never heard of this guy, you're in good company. In fact, I was talking to my neighbor last week, and she uh, asked what we were talking about at church, and I said Habakkuk, and she said, "Wow, I've never heard anyone do a sermon series on that book before." <laughs> well, uh, the amazing thing about it, though, it's it's super relevant. The the things that we're looking at in this series is, I think, as relevant as the media that you scroll on your phone in the mornings. Some of the questions asked, I think, are some of the very same questions that people are asking now. And where we left off last week, Habakkuk, he's a guy that is a prophet. Normally the prophets get a message from God and they talk to the people, what God says, but this is reverse, he's got problems. And so he's asking questions to God. And he says, God, violence is on the rise. The law in my country right now is ineffective. We've got laws, but they're not being followed. And, and it's a mess politically. There's corruption in my country and it's sliding out of control. God, you could stop this, but you're not. What is going on? And God answers, we looked at God's answers. He said, you know, here's my answer. I'm gonna raise up the Babylonians, a ruthless, uh, violent nation. Godless, bloodthirsty people that are going to be my tool of judgment on your nation, Habakkuk. And uh, your situation is about to get worse, not better. And we see Habakkuk say, what? That's that's your answer? I'm asking you about injustice, and this is... I mean, I know our country is running off the rails, but why are you sending an even worse, more wicked nation than us to come gobble us up? It's just, it's looking really bad. And remember, God is allowing this trouble to happen to his people. To sympathize, if you look around our world right now, do you see any people doing bad things and they're getting away with it? Have you seen that happen? That's injustice. When, when people do bad things and they just get away, that's injustice. And oof, that just burns us. We also feel a sense of injustice when bad things are happening to me, and I don't deserve it. We feel this is unjust, what's happening. And when that's going on, many people are tempted to walk away from God. Maybe they say, I- I'm praying, I'm asking God for help, but He's not doing anything, He's not answering. I'm hanging on by a thread. My hope is hanging on by a thread. So chapter 1 ends with no resolution, there's no miracle. And God's solution seems worse than the original problem. Chapter 2 opens like this. Habakkuk, he says, "...I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint." So, he asks God the question, and he hasn't walked away from God yet. He's wrestling. He's maintaining a position of humility before a mighty God. And actually, one of the things we looked at last week is that we can, it is possible to really wrestle with some honest, difficult questions for God and still have a genuine faith in Him. So Habakkuk's saying, Man, I've, I've fully given God a piece of my mind on this topic and this question of injustice. I want to know what's going on. And now, I wait. I'll wait for his answer." And God answers again. So there's this back and forth happening. And here's now what God says, "...the Lord answered to me, write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it." So basically he's saying, I'm, I'm going to answer your question by giving you a peek into the future. God says, "...for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and it will not lie." Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late." So this vision that that God's talking about, He's talking about this moment of justice when all of the wrongs will finally be made right. It's coming. It's on the way. And actually, what we gather from this book is that justice will come ultimately, but not immediately. Justice will come ultimately, in the end, but not immediately. All those people that, that, do, com, that commit crimes and do evil things, it really seems like they're getting away with it. And actually, some people get away with it for a long time. You know, we, we'd, prefer, we'd prefer instant karma. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before. Um, I don't believe in karma. But there's this phrase that instant karma means someone gets some an immediate payback for something bad that they did. And here's, here's a quick example of what that looks like.
1: Don't do it. Ooh. <laughs>
0: People would do wrong things, and justice was served immediately, just like in this video. That would be interesting. But, of course, the kinds of things we're talking about and looking at, there's a lot more at stake than just uh, driving on the shoulder of a road or getting a speeding ticket. Problems on a massive scale, I think, are eating away at our society right now. And and big, big problems and injustices are eating away at our system and our understanding of morality. The end that God talks about here, it's a moment in time that's coming where everyone's deeds will be addressed. There is a definite reckoning coming. And God says, though it delays, this, this moment of justice, this big final moment, though it delays, it will certainly come and not be late. It may feel to us like it's delaying, like, where's the justice? But God says, no, it's, it's not going to be late. And when we say, God, where are you? Why is this happening? How long is it going to be this way? Well, God has already picked the time when justice will be served, finally. And we tend to freak out because, man, it's just not happening as fast as we would like. It's just we're, we're struggling with what we're seeing. We see all of the crimes and the evils being done and things going awry, and actually, God sees them all too. In the next part of God's answer to Habakkuk, he gives five woes, meaning basically five big categories where uh, categories of wrongdoing being committed by this um, godless nation that's opposing them. And in the ways that they oppress people, in the way that they're, they're so violent, and the way they create this unjust system where only the powerful gain and everyone else suffers. This uh, description of, of wrongdoing that God notices is the longest part of God's answer in this section. The charges brought against them by God are very thorough. God doesn't miss anything. Every stroke of injustice is being tallied up. And at the end of that, Habakkuk must have realized, wow, God's not asleep at the wheel, like I thought. He's paying attention to it all. He must have realized that God will work out his plans in his timing. Actually, we too can have confidence that God will work out his plans in his timing. There's just some trouble though, because there's a gap between now and that final justice coming at the end. And things might get pretty hairy in between now and then for us. Things may get awful for us that believe and that walk with Him. God seems to be okay with that. That's an uncomfortable thought. In Habakkuk 2.4, God says this, look, his ego is inflated, he's without integrity. And he's referring to the godless person, the the person that just makes up his own rules for living grabs for what he wants. In contrast, though, the righteous one will live by faith. We are to live by faith, trusting in God, clinging to our hope in Him even when things are very dark. There was a young couple back in the 1940s that uh, decided or realized that God was calling them to be missionaries in Indonesia And uh, So here's, here's a photo of them. This is Russell and Darlene Diebler, and they were newly married and went to a foreign country to share the good news about Jesus with people that had never heard about him. And the work was extremely difficult. In fact, Russell nearly died in the jungle on one of his trips, came very close to death, and the work was grueling and very difficult, but they were motivated, and during the year 1942, they were in the middle of all that, and no one would have known that World War II was about to break out. And they're in Indonesia, which is in the Pacific Southwest, and they began getting reports that the tentacles of Japan had surfaced, and they started reaching out in every direction. And one by one, all of the islands in the Pacific were starting to fall to the incredible military power of Japan. And they would send shock troops, uh, really brutal uh, soldiers, just, that would just kill left and right. Um, they were known for ruthless, whimsical killing, um, in addition to just torture and mistreatments of all kinds. It was, it was terrible. Actually, if you, you can still read about it now. It just, it, it makes your stomach turn um, to read about the, the atrocities done by these troops. And uh, at one point, Russell and Darlene and a few other workers were—they uh, had, had the opportunity to leave the country that they were in. And there was a ship laying in anchor, and in three days it was about to leave. And they were, they were trying to get all of the, especially the women and the children that wanted to leave um, out of the Pacific Northwest, or Southeast, I should say. And uh, so they, they decided, we need, to, we need to pray. Does God still want us here to continue our work, or does he want us to go? And of that, the band of workers, including this couple, um, on the day that the ship left, they had, none of them wanted to leave. They had all decided that God had called them to, to stay. And three days later, they got a report that that ship had been torpedoed and none, there were no survivors. And so they stayed, and <clears throat> they had already had confidence, but they especially had confidence at this point that no matter what happens on the road ahead, that God wanted them to be there. No matter how difficult things would get, God would move them in the right direction. So finally, reports came that the shock troops had landed on their island. That must have been a terrifying thought that there's no military, there's no police, there's there's nobody to stand between these troops and where they were in their cottage. And what do you do? There's no escape. It must have felt to them like impending doom. The walls were closing in, and they must have felt helpless. Until finally one, one morning, Darlene was working in the garden around the house, trying to stay busy, and when she looked up, there was an armed Japanese soldier facing her. So his, this whole troop, they, they shoved them all in, inside, and they began to interrogate and beat them and make all these demands. Really, began, it began the path of cruelty. And at one point, they yanked Russell away, the husband, and they, they shoved him in a truck. And there was, there was no goodbye. There's no ability to, to have a parting. And he leaned over the tailgate, and softly he said to Darlene, Remember one thing, my dear. God has promised never to leave us or forsake us. So the truck just drove off and disappeared, and at that point, Darlene never, she had no idea. What was, she, it was probably going to be execution, but she didn't know. They're newly married. They'd been, barely been together, and they have given their lives for, to do the work of Jesus Christ, and this awful thing happens. Eventually, all of the women on that island were taken to an internment camp, and Darlene was among them. There's a, a thousand women and kids. For years, they they were just stuffed and crammed into horrible conditions. Uh, it was illness-infested. Uh, they labored day and night, just brutally worked in the sun, barefoot, um, hardly any clothing. Endure, they would just endure watching the death of their friends, watching their kids starve. And they experienced the brutality and the cruelty of their captors day in and day out. There was beatings and humiliations. There was pains and... Um, all kinds of horrors that they they experienced in that camp. Really fascinating, at one point, the uh, camp commander had noticed that there was an illness spreading through the camp. There were many, but at one point there was a particular illness that he thought was being transmitted by breathing. And so he had ordered all of the women to take what little cloth they had and to make face masks and 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 require them to wear it at all times. At one point, there was a woman who was just uh, laboring out in the, in the just hot jungle sun, and she had let it drape over one ear only. And when that was discovered, she was brutally beaten. And uh, everyone had learned at that point not to disobey orders. I thought that was fascinating, given our situation. But eventually, there was a report that had reached Darlene that Russell... Um, they were in another, they were, all the men were in another camp, and probably in even worse conditions. It was torture for her, not knowing how he was doing or um, day-to-day if he was surviving or what would happen. In such a dark and dreadful place, and just for such a long period of time, I wish I had the time to describe to you all of the moments of uh, all the ways that God had provided miraculously for Darlene. The book is written by her. But this whole experience, somehow, it did not embitter her. Her faith blossomed right in the middle of a spiritual wasteland. Scripture and hymns that she had memorized are on every page just supporting her, refreshing her soul. There's There were moments of instant healing from disease. There's, there'd be just providential protection from an enemy or, or just incredible encouragement from the Holy Spirit and things that would play out. It's, it's unbelievable to read some of the things that happened, the way that God had worked in that dark place. But finally, after, after months, word had reached her that Russell had died. Her husband had died. Turns out that time at the truck when he was ripped away from her was the very last time that she would ever see or talk to him again. And I wanted to read some of her words at this point. It's fascinating to see the way that she processed through this. She said, when she got the news, she said, I grasped my ladder and rested my forehead against one of the rungs. I closed my eyes, trying to assimilate the awful, cold hopelessness within me. Three months, Russell had already been dead. Three months, he'd already been buried. She didn't know it until now. The terrible finality of it overwhelmed me. I was too new to grief to know how to handle it. And she was just processing it. A lot, a lot of bad things had happened already, but this, this was intense. She said, I wanted to sob until the fountain of my tears ran dry. I felt vulnerable and young, desperately needing the strong, comforting arm of the shepherd. Who can bruise and make whole again? Who can break then restore that which is shattered to a thing of beauty? From force of habit, I just laid it all out before the Lord. She, she writes, Never once did God interrupt me while I told him everything about the past and the present, the timing, what I was feeling, what I was not feeling, how the future looked, and the oppressive feeling of aloneness. I waited to hear what my Lord would say, and silence answered me. It's very similar to what Habakkuk writes in his letter, waiting on the Lord's response. And she says, Suddenly, my Lord was there, standing in the cathedral of my heart, From his word written upon the scroll of my memory, he began to read these words from the Bible. He has sent me to bind up up the brokenhearted, to comfort all that mourn, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God spoke to her in that moment through Scripture and through some other things that she writes about, Till finally she writes, And she prayed, Wrap me, God, wrap me in the garment of praise that I may not burden others with the heaviness of grief. She says, Experientially, I was learning to understand the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Sometime during those dark hours, I slept. The sword of sorrow had pierced deep within me, but he had bathed the sword in the oil of joy for mourning. Pretty incredible. Grief unlike anything I I could imagine at this point in my life, and yet she did not have counseling to go to or therapy sessions to walk her through the grief process. Actually, the Holy Spirit and the Bible led her through grief to land in a really good spot. And then she was summoned by the camp commander, the dreaded Mr. Yamaji was his name. And she had seen him commit vicious acts of cruelty and violence against the women of this camp. She had uh, escaped most of it herself. But this camp commander, he learned about the news about Russell. And he wanted to tell her that women in Japan have received the same kind of news that you just received about your husband. And there's a little bit of a dialogue there. But she said, may I have permission to talk with you? And he let her speak. She says, I don't sorrow like people who have no hope. Then she says, God opened the most wonderful opportunity to lay the plan of salvation before this Japanese camp commander. Tears started to flow down his cheeks when she said, Jesus died for you, Mr. Yamaji, and he puts love in our hearts even for those who are our enemies. That's why I don't hate you. Maybe God brought me to this place and this time to tell you that he loves you. He actually fled the room because he was embarrassed about his tears. What would seem totally impossible, if you read about this guy, it would seem totally impossible. But as he watched her live with hope in the dark, he did later become a true follower of Jesus Christ. And he even later rescued her from uh vicious camp, uh, worst captors, later in the story. This book is gold. (laughs) Uh, When I think about some of the fears that I have or the concerns for me or my kids or what's happening or what's coming down the line for our country, it has brought me so much encouragement to read books like this to see how men and women of the faith have endured such horrible circumstances Biographies, Christian biographies are my favorite, especially missionary biographies. I've read many of them. God has filled me with hope. With, with both Darlene and Habakkuk, God seems to have designed their trouble on purpose. Just sorrow beyond what we can imagine. What if God allows or even designs that kind of intense trouble for us? Man, we love peace and comfort and just stability, we love that. I, I like that a lot. You know, Jesus, he got crucified. He even prayed to God, would you take this away from me? Don't make me walk through this. He asked, he, he requested that God would take that cup of suffering away from him, but God didn't do that. Jesus walked through. Do I deserve to get off any easier than the Son of God got? I don't think so. At least I, I may not have that suffering, but I, I certainly don't deserve a life of ease. In our pain, in our trouble, sometimes we ask, how long is this gonna go on? God, where are you in all of this? I don't know how long the trouble goes or how long God will let things happen or when that final day of judgment is gonna come, but probably it's gonna be longer than any, any of us would prefer. When the heat turns up, will we trust God even more, or will we bail on Him? If God does intend for us to walk through trouble, we need a response. There's a song that declares a faith-filled response. I I believe Habakkuk and Darlene would have both sung this with full voice. Um, I want you to listen to this song now.
1: A shit mm-hmm. I'll sing a song to the one who's all land.
0: Chapter two of Habakkuk ends with this statement from God. Uh, God says, "But the Lord is in His holy temple. let the whole earth be silent in His presence." God sees everything, and he decides what happens on this planet. That, this, this response given to Habakkuk from God, it was satisfying enough for him to remember God's vast power, unlimited power and sovereignty, and also knowing that God would eventually repay the evil. Habakkuk realized he had no right to demand anything from God. If you want to summarize this book that we're reading in one phrase, it's that verse that we read earlier, the righteous one will live by his faith. Living by faith means I trust God will be good to me and I will wait for him to bring final justice. It may feel like the walls are closing in and that there's no escape. In those moments, our trust cannot be in our country, or in a good leader that we want, or, or our financial security, or, or our, our ability to, to get, make it off the grid and move away from it all. We can't trust in any of those things. Trusting in that is like trusting a toothpick to hold back a giant trash compactor. <laughs> you know that clip from Star Wars? It's from, the, the name of that movie is A New Hope. Interesting. <laughs> Maybe you're in need of a new hope today. Maybe part of the reason that you've been stressed, and anxious, and angry at what's going on around you is because you're hoping in the wrong thing. Instead of waiting on God, whenever we're waiting for life to get better, or to to go back to cushy and comfortable, or we want things to go back to normal, then more than likely our hope is going to be disappointed. Our faith is not in getting what we want. Our faith is in God's character and his goodness. Before we finish this message today, I want to answer one more question that may have come up in your mind. The question is, so God's going to bring justice in the end. Why why not immediately? Why not do instant karma, but like the God version of it? Why Why does he let injustice run out on such a big leash? Why doesn't he just repay evil as it happens? or stop it from happening altogether. Are you sure that you want that? I'd say, be careful what you wish for. If you said, God, I want you to eliminate all wrongdoing and all injustice, my friend, we would all be dead by morning. Anytime that we insist on doing things our own way, or anytime that we ignore God's original design or just kind of skirt around his commands, any of them. The Bible calls that sin and sin carries with it an awful payload, an awful payload of eternal death and separation from God forever. The reason that God delays is for our benefit. Whenever it feels like justice is delayed and, and God is not acting fast enough, here's another verse very similar to what you read in Habakkuk that gives us even more clarity. Peter wrote this. He says, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. Don't don't forget about this. Just keep this in mind. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Time is totally different for God. It feels like forever. It feels like it's taking forever. It's just like a day for God. He's on a different scale. And so here's what he says in verse 9. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but He is patient with you. He's he's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. God lets all kinds of injustice out on a leash because he's giving space and time for people to repent. And this happened in Darlene's story with that camp commander. It's unbelievable, but true. And then Peter says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You'll never know that that day of justice is coming, but we won't be able to calendar it out. On that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements, you know, the physical stuff we can touch and see, it's all gonna burn and be dissolved. And the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. When God finally rolls up history, two things are gonna happen. One, all evil and godless people will be repaid, and it is not gonna be pretty. Second, the other thing that will happen is that all who stayed faithful to Jesus, under, even under oppression, will be very richly rewarded. And it's going to be really, really good. Those are the only two categories. If you want to be among those whom God saves, it is time to get right with Him. And we do that by turning away from my way of doing life. I place my hope only in God and then, I commit to following Jesus and I obey all of his commands. That's, that's what it means. And if you're not sure where you stand with God, let us know. It is really worth it to get this figured out. There's actually, there's nothing more important in life than getting crystal clear on this. Am I right with God? Let us know. But Mark, on, on email or on the, on the chat right now, you can let us know that you want more info on this. We would love to be a help. This is why we're here. This is why we've got a church. And this is why a year ago we started meeting. We're small and relatively new as a church, but um, you know, we can't offer a whole lot of things, but we can offer Jesus Christ. And the other thing we can offer is community. My guess is, for those of you listening and watching right now, you're probably in a time in your life when you could really benefit from getting around some good people. You probably, if you, if you could use some good friendships and, and some people that are a positive influence, just helping move life in the right direction, then you're not here by accident. This, is, this church is a group for you. I, I could introduce you to people in our church who already would say, the people here have become like a spiritual family to me. So if you want more information about joining with us, let us know that too. Mark that on the chat or send us an email. This series is called Hope in the Dark. Last week, we looked at wrestling with God. This week, or today, we looked at waiting on God. And next week, you know, you might say, my situation is really awful. My life is wrecked. My body is wrecked. You know, it's great to know that things will get better, that I just need to wait and have faith, but what do I do right now? How, how can I bear the trouble? Is God really good, though? So next week, the, the last message in this series is embracing God in the valley. Really hope that you join us. Let's pray together. Father, I declare right now that you are good, and for those that follow you, you will not rip us off. There are all kinds of trouble that we face in life, things that even you allow or even design. And that's, man, that's sometimes a difficult thought to wrestle with, but I know that you provide and I know ultimately good things are coming for those that trust you. Help us to endure, Lord. Help us to wait. Please protect us from the temptation of disbelief and becoming bitter and angry and frustrated and and really to rejecting you. I pray that you would help bring some clarity to some of the questions that many are asking and nudge them towards a the faith in you in Jesus name we pray amen have a wonderful week i hope to see you next time